This is the official Sasta podcast with your host, Harry Stebbings. And if for some bizarre reason you'd like to see more of me, then you can follow me on at H Stebbings on Snapchat. And Sasta itself is brought to you by the main man at Sasta, Jason Lemkin, at JasonLK on Twitter. Now for the show today, a pretty exceptional guest is on, as he has extensive operating experience and is now a top VC. So joining me today, I'm thrilled to welcome Tim Kopp. Now Tim is a managing partner with Hyde Park Venture Partners, one of the leading early stage VCs in the Midwest. And prior to joining Hyde Park Venture Partners, Tim was the CMO of Exact Target for six years, leading a global team of nearly 300 marketing leaders. Tim helped grow Exact Target from $47 million to $400 million in revenue through to IPO and ultimately to a $2.7 billion sale to Salesforce. He previously spent more than 10 years in consumer marketing with Procter & Gamble and Coca-Cola. And you can follow his advice for startup execs and marketing leaders at his newly launched website, which is www.cmovc.com. It really is a must check out. However, it's now time for me to hand over the mic to the man himself, Tim Kopp, managing partner at High Park Venture Partners. Good. That's perfect. Okay, I think we're warmed up. Tim, such a pleasure to have you on the official Sasta podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, I'm glad to be here. Now, I'd love to start today with how you came to be CMO at Exact Target and then made your way into the wonderful world of venture, as I love to call it. <laughs> well, you know, honestly, I kind of took the path less traveled. I started off in banking, not the fun kind of banking, but the sort of wear the corporate logo pin on your suit kind of banking. So I started off doing uh, that kind of banking for a couple of years, saw this about 20 years ago, saw this massive change coming with, uh, with the cloud and technology. Went back to school, got my MBA in IT, and then started off uh, at Procter & Gamble really as one of their very first digital marketing managers. And it was a blast, and I learned a ton. Uh, the biggest experience is I got to launch uh, Crest White Strips, which was one of our biggest launches ever, and uh, we did it all online. Well, then I really had the bug. Ended up moving on to run their beauty care division, and then um, after about seven years of P&G, went to Coke, where I was uh, their vice president of worldwide interactive marketing was there for a couple of years and just an amazing experience after 10 years cpg decided sort of i'll never forget this meeting we were in talking about can we eke out seven percent growth instead of six percent growth (laughs) and the light bulb sort of went off but man i might want to think about something different and at that time i was on customer advisory board at coke for uh, a couple of different software companies one of those being one of the really early tech pioneers uh, web trend in the web analytics space. So joined their advisory board, ended up joining their board of directors. They ended up becoming a big partner of Exact Target. Went to speak at their user conference in 07. The rest was history. They recruited me to stay there and was part of, I was fortunate to be part of Exact Target's growth story. And then a couple of years ago, Salesforce.com uh, bought us out and Exact Target basically became the plug-in for the marketing cloud. And that gave me a great opportunity to step back and think about what comes next. And I dove into the world of mentoring early stage tech companies, taking on a couple board roles and doing early stage investing. And and I loved it and found the opportunity to make an impact would be even greater if I joined a firm. And so I ended up meeting uh, the, the great team at Hyde Park Ventures, became uh, an advisor in their first fund, and then joined as a, a full-time operating partner in their second fund a couple years ago. And as you mentioned there, CMO at Exact Target, obviously one of your main passions is marketing, uh, extensive experience. But I have to ask, I've heard you before say that you found marketing in B2B startups in particular to be, to be rather unbuilt and rather uninspired. I'd love to hear what you mean by this and and how you'd like to see it change. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, I'll, I'm glad you brought this up. I'll, I'll be blunt. Just, you know, I've said just because you're in B2B marketing doesn't give you a license to suck. And I firmly believe that. It is a lot. It's gotten so much better over the last few years. And I think, you know, a lot of it, honestly, we have Salesforce to thank for that. But in general, I found it to be a lot of copycatting, a lot of hiding things behind lead forms, a lot of driving tons and tons of leads, and just generally sort of uninspired and a bit lazy. So, I, you know, I just think there's there's never been a better time to be in marketing, and I think there's a better chance to sort of fully embrace uh, everything that goes with marketing, from customer experience to demand gen to uh, engaging with clients, and it's just too sort of one-dimensional and flat. It's just very uninspired many times. Can I ask is this lead dumping really any useful value at all? I mean, can the sales team adopt this dump of leads? No. <laughs> I mean, it can lead to something. I think it's the wrong thing to measure. I really do. And why do people measure it? Because it's easy. And, you know, you can set a I generated 10,000 leads. Well, so what? That, that, that's a measure of activity, not of outcome, in my opinion. And so to me, everything starts with what percent of revenue are you trying to drive for the sales team? And then, you know, so how do you get there? So, no, a lead dump is, uh, <laughs> is I think, a leading contributor to why I find some much of the marketing uninspired. It's just about generating a huge volume of things, not doing the right things. So we should measure percent of revenue. And then where does it go from there to convert? Sure. So, you know, obviously it depends very much based on the business, but mm-hmm. SaaS, which is kind of what, you know, what we're talking about, I think marketing plays a really strong role in driving revenue for the sales function. They just do. And to run from that is a giant mistake. I just think it's a giant mistake. Marketing is so accountable. It's so measurable. Why not just embrace that? I mean, the CFO really needs to be your best friend. And so for me, unless the CFO and the CRO are really advocating for marketing and and your biggest business partners, it's not working. So that's certainly what I did. It was uh, really trying to roll them uh, as our biggest partners. I 50% of revenue, new business revenue is what we signed up for. And then it was, how do we generate the right set of activity to get there? Sometimes it's improving conversion rates by helping the sales team be uh, more equipped and more up to speed and more on message more than it is driving driving a ton of leads. So I think it starts with demand gen and why run from that? That gives you the sort of uh, political currency to go and do other things. But then beyond that, I think you need to quickly move into whatever's appropriate for your business. Oftentimes when you get to be at scale, I think it is uh, engaging with the base and driving net promoter score and cross-sell and upsell is probably the most overlooked opportunity. Uh, you, you mentioned obviously they're working closely with the CRO, CFO. In terms of very early stage startups where there isn't that kind of core exec in team, how, how can kind of CMOs and CEOs work together well? And, and what do you think CEOs are doing wrong now? Yeah, this is a good one. You know, I don't know that it's so much CEOs are doing anything wrong. What I find is that it's really bifurcated right now. You see these sort of like highly enlightened kind of uh, thought leadership, marketing-driven software companies where there's a great partnership between the CEO and the CMO. And then you sort of turn the page and and you don't see that in others. And I think you look at that handshake that kind of needs to happen. 
between the CEO and the CMO. And many times, you know, if the CEO grew up in tech or they're actually just not sure what to ask the CMO, like what are the right measures? So they just end up asking where are the leads. And so we end up back at the discussion we, we were having a few minutes ago, which is generating a lot of a lot of quantity, but maybe not the maybe not the right results. You know, I think sort of on the flip side, CMOs, there's so much to do in marketing right now. CMOs tend to be <laughs> they tend to be better at gravitating towards shiny objects uh, than than we are at at prioritizing. And I think focusing on uh, on the what more than the how is the number one thing. What are the three things that I'm most accountable for? And how do we measure the success of that? And that's really the discussion that needs to happen between the CEO and the CMO. And it's shocking to me how many CMOs I ask, what are you accountable for? And they can give you a surface level answer, but what are the three specific objectives and how do you measure them? And then is the CEO aligned to that? That is kind of the underlying foundation for success, I think. And it's just missing in a lot of cases. You said the CEOs are asking the wrong questions. Is that the three objectives that they should be asking for? Or are there other questions that they should directly be asking? To me, it's and it's not always broken. But if you look at a number of the SaaS leaders or the companies that are really breaking away from the pack, marketing tends to be a really strong part of their DNA. I mean, they're, they're making a significant impact in the marketplace. They're kind of creating this movement. And I think what it starts off by kind of defining what's possible. And instead, what happens is it becomes a laundry list or it becomes a to-do list of go engage the analyst, update the website, generate more leads. Oh, by the way, you know, have you done this with our customer advisory board? And so you can end up with 22 things to do on your list, none of which you're doing well. And I I think ultimately that falls more on the CMO to prioritize and go back and have a discussion of, look, what, what are we really trying to do? What are the big levers for our business and where do we want to make an impact? And that, that does start with driving revenue. And if we agree on that, then what are the right things to measure? And I, I don't think it's leads. I think it's kind of percent of revenue and what are the specific accounts. But ultimately it comes down to the sales team. If you ask the CRO in a board meeting, is marketing driving what they need to for you to succeed? That that's where you really find out. It's you know, so you could sort of bend the numbers however you want, but it's really that that kind of the strength and that partnership that makes the difference. And talking kind of the partnership there within the exact team, you know, CMO, CRO, CFO, CEO, in terms of the integration of, of the sales and the marketing teams themselves, where do you stand on this in particular? Oh, man, I, I do love this question. So have you ever noticed? So now that I'm more on the venture side, I've noticed something that's very obvious that didn't hit me as much as uh, when I was an operator. But sales and marketing go together on the income statement. It says sales and marketing. There are two other functions that are tied together. And I believe that there are two functions that should be intertwined almost like a rope. And it's hard to tell in many cases where one picks up and the other leads off. And uh, I tell you, in many cases, it was Andy Kofoid who led our sales team and our revenue team was the one really advocating for marketing and what we needed to do to invest in marketing. And on the flip side, I was advocating for what we needed to do to add more sales reps. And it was like, wait a minute, who runs sales and who runs marketing here? But we came at it from, look, what we're trying to do is grow revenue. And what are the biggest levers that we have across both functions? You just have to look at the trade-offs between both. And a lot of times it just kind of turns into this infighting of, uh, of where's the leads instead of really focusing on what you're trying to do. And 
I tell you, the biggest opportunity I see over and over again as a company grows is your messaging gets flat and your messaging gets loose and then your conversion rates go down. So if you continue to drive more and more leads into a, a system that, or a funnel that's broken, it's, it's just hugely wasteful and destructive. And I think keeping the messaging crisp and on point and the sales team aligned and up to speed is... Um, in many ways, the most important thing the marketing team can do. And that's, that's really interesting for me then, uh, drawing on your experience as CMO, how do you kind of look to create that innovative uh, idea, creative culture where you keep a fresh and incentivized and, and current message for the company? Yeah, so I've noticed two things. One, you will get tired of your message before the marketplace does. So, it, it, you know, there's this sort of lag effect and what will happen is people internally will start getting tired of it. Oh, we've been saying that for two years now. Well, if you think about any great brand, the way they built that great brand is consistency of message over time. And it's the same thing over and over again. So many times we have to look kind of the B2C space for, for cues on, you know, great branding, but whether it's some of the typical ones we look at, you know, uh, yeah, absolutely. How do they do that? It's consistency. I mean, it's just flat out consistency, but you know, if you engage with the Coke brand, uh, I traveled the world and it looked the same in South Africa as it did in Turkey, as it did in Korea, uh, Japan, and then back to the U.S. But what you have to allow for is how do you bring that brand to life in the most relevant ways based on what's happening. So it might be very different when the Olympics are happening and when they're not, uh, when a new product is being launched. So there's certain things that are non-debatable, sort of your core values, your principles, what do we stand for, how are we different, the very exact color of your logo and how it needs to look. But then it might be brought to life in a very different way in Brazil than it is in Germany. And so I kind of refer to that as freedom within a framework. You have to have the things that we will not bend our. That's kind of the who we are, what we do, why we're different. But then the way that you want to express it in each one of the markets, you have to allow some for, for quite a bit of freedom. Um, no, I, 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 I do really want to tag on to one thing you said there, though, and it was about B2C marketers doing it right. And in terms of hiring marketers as a CMO, as you were, would you look to the B2C sphere then for your hiring funnel and would you look to integrate b2c marketers into your b2b team yeah this is this is a really interesting thread so i think so i think two things one many of the better marketers in b2b today did come from b2c and i think why is the talent pool in b2c like if you wanted to go into marketing 20 years ago when i started as a cmo like 12 years ago in b2b there just weren't many of us i think people thought it was like a made-up title right like there's like <laughs> why maybe, would you market b2b <laughs> yeah i mean i don't know maybe i'm sure adobe had one and ibm did but there weren't many and boy have times changed and so if, if you were really interested in marketing as a career path you went to a b2c company you know and that's where i was fortunate to cut my teeth you know so you learn about things like creating brand experiences, you, you learn about customer segmentation, you learn about customer journeys, and now B2B marketing, when done well, looks so much like B2C. And so I think now, honestly, a lot of the better jobs in marketing live within B2B. So I think that that's kind of that dynamic has changed. But I'll tell you, as my team grew from maybe 10 people when I started to nearly 400 when I left, I'll share something with you that's really interesting. I bet I hired fewer than 50 people with classically trained B2B marketing experience. And by and large, what I was doing was hiring people to a profile, people that might be specialists or kind of had more B2C skills, but they were often liberal arts majors or teachers or writers or designers. And, but they were really, really good at one thing. 
And uh, and then it was teaching somebody how to do B2B marketing is not not terribly difficult. And I think the playbook that was taught for how to do B2B marketing like 10 years ago, I just don't find as interesting, frankly, or as replicable into what should be done today. So, man, look, I, I hired very much to a profile. And it was, can you communicate? Can you solve problems? Can you lead people? And it was more looking for versatile athletes that you could train up. I mean, I can train you how to do a demand gen plan and, and, and a couple of weeks, but it's looking for people who had kind of the raw skills and hunger. In, in terms of talking about that team and taking it back to the very early stage process, in terms of specialization, at what point does that specialization occur from jack of all trades marketer, as you will be if you're the sole marketer in a startup, to the 10-man marketing team where you've got demand gen, you've got content, you've got the other segments all covered? At what stage do you think specialization should occur for marketing? You know, this is one of the biggest mistakes I see companies make, to be honest. The first thing I'll hear is we need to hire a CMO. And I think, really? I mean, if if you have a CMO as a founder, that makes great sense to me. Otherwise, you shouldn't be adding a CMO till you're well past the 10 million run rate or something like that, in my opinion. I, I think at first what you're looking for is to hire somebody who is most importantly a doer, not a thinker. You want somebody who probably is a generalist, but with demand gen chops, somebody who can get into a spreadsheet, build out a solid demand gen plan and begin to execute. And then what you'll see is a number of things within the plan will start to work or not work. And then you end up hiring specialists. So if content's working, then you're probably going to end up hiring a writer, maybe a designer. If it's search, you know, you're going to end up hiring a paid search specialist. So then, so you got to start off general, build a plan, build a strategy, and then get very specific as you're building out the plan to make sure you have the specialists that can go in and, and do the work and sort of fill for that. And then of course, it's then bouncing out to get a little bit more general to hire leaders, the manage the team. So it's this constant handoff and sort of tug of war between generalists and specialists. But in general, I'm a much bigger believer making sure that everybody at all levels is a doer. But it's obviously the later stage you get, then you've got a huge number of specialists that you're bringing in for everything from events to analyst relations, because you're just at a scale that it warrants a full-time position or multiple full-time positions as you go begin to go global. But it just doesn't when you're earlier stage. And then before we dive into the 60-second Sasta, just picking up on one specific trend in marketing, you know, Engageo recently raised that 22 million round. And ABM is, is you know, huge. Um, so I, I have to ask you, you've said it's the most significant thing to happen in sales and marketing for the last 10 years. Why are you so bullish on on ABM and why do you think it's so fundamentally revolutionary? Well, I I really do believe that. And if you think about it, account-based marketing has been happening in many ways for many years. What we really did at at Exact Target was account-based marketing. We picked a named group of accounts that we wanted to go after, and we aligned sales and marketing to go after them. It wasn't really about generating a particular number of leads. However, we didn't really have that was a people-driven process and not a technology-driven process. And we didn't have the, not only the tech to do it, but there really wasn't even like the vocabulary. That's like, what do you sort of call this new world? And um, I do. I think it's the bit. Why is it the biggest change that I've seen happen? Because it's, it's flipping the entire world of marketing on its head. And, and it's saying that it's all about going after outcomes, not activity is the right thing to do. And it's going after quality and not quantity. And it's about aligning sales and marketing and the things that we talked about before to, to drive impact. And so a company that uh, we 
invested in at Hyde Park and I've been working very closely with called Terminus um, has been leading this sort of movement called Flip My Funnel. They've been doing it, kind of building the whole category. So, of course, working closely with uh, with John and many of the other people sort of in this category to come together and share best practices and insights. And the last meeting that they did was in Boston. Over 400 people were there. I mean, just to talk about account-based marketing and what's happening. So it, it's just a huge, it's gaining a groundswell. Uh, reminds me some of what kind of was happening in marketing automation six, seven years ago, but this is more fundamental. It's not optimizing an existing process. It's introducing a completely new way of doing things. And I'd love to dive into a quick fire now with you. So 60 seconds per answer, 60 Let's seconds faster. You ready? Yep. Let's do open ecosystems, fundamental or not? Massively fundamental. Massively fundamental. If you want any proof, just look at the history books. Anybody who's built a category-leading SaaS company has had an open ecosystem, period. And then let's do biggest takeaway from being CMO at Exact Target. Oh, man. Biggest takeaway. The biggest takeaway from my time um, at Exact Target is talent wins, period. Even though that we're in a software and technology business, if you look time and time again at the companies that have built amazing category-leading companies, they've just been stacked with the most talent from top to bottom. And for us, it was starting at the board level, battery and scale and TCV and the great investors that we had through our executive team down below that. And it's just flat out. It sounds obvious, but it's that focus on talent, people, and culture early is the differentiator. LinkedIn acquisition, game changer or is it an expensive one? Both. <laughs> it, it is an absolute. I think it's one of the most important things that's happened in software and tech in many, many years. And it, I think it's hugely strategic. Was it expensive? Uh, yeah. Without question. Why I think it's so fundamental is um, it's the data. I mean, it's just flat out all the data and insights that exist with, um, live within LinkedIn. Now Microsoft uh, has access to all of that, is going to be able to bring it to life within Dynamics, but throughout all of Microsoft as an enterprise, and then they make a big, big splash into social and SaaS along the way. The hottest element of making the transition from operator to VC now with High Park? The biggest transition by far is going from just how you measure success. So I used to be, my success was measured by a stopwatch, and now it's by a sundial. And what I- <laughs> That is, I would literally look at my marketing activities multiple times within a day and look at a scorecard and kind of know if you're winning or losing. When you make bets within venture, you get a sense of what's working, but it takes you know months, if not years. So it's sort of reframing the idea of, of success and how quickly you can measure it. That's brilliant. I love that sundial. Um, and then let's finish today. I want to finish on on your investment role now with High Park. And don't worry, this isn't a quick fire. But discussing investment themes. So you've before said about the second wave of SaaS uh, that you're looking to invest in. So what is the second wave of SaaS and where are you excited by? I First off, I think it's really early innings for SaaS. We can look at a lot of the great outcomes and, and tend to think um, that it might be toward the later innings. I think it's absolutely still early innings. If you look at many of the initial leaders, they built really broad horizontal solutions, things like uh, web analytics or email or marketing automation that apply to a wide range of customers verticals and segments. I think what we're going to find going forward is SaaS is a specialty. Uh, going in and being best in the world at healthcare and all the things that go into healthcare with HIPAA compliance, et cetera. And I think you're going to see billion-dollar clouds emerge just from healthcare. I also think that we're going to see the more specific horizontal uh, solutions. So I think it's going to be the rise of 
specialty within SaaS. And I'm going to make a prediction that we're going to see more and more of those companies continue to pop up in the Midwest in kind of what we consider to be flyover country than we would uh, in the traditional uh, sort of spots on the coast. So the fragmentation of SaaS, essentially. Yes, absolutely. It was the time for the generalist. Now it's time for the specialist. That is a brilliant answer. I was worried you were going to say machine learning for X. Uh, so, that's a, <laughs> so that's a brilliant relief to me. Um, but Tim, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show today. Uh, all the best with the, the relatively new role at High Park. Um, very exciting times ahead. And, and thank you so much for joining me on the show. Oh, thank you for having me. It was a lot of fun. Now, I know I really shouldn't say this, but some guests genuinely are a lot more fun and nice to have on the show than others. And today with Tim, it really was just such a pleasure. It was fantastic to record and we had such a great chat. So a huge hand to Tim for giving up his time today to appear on the show. Really was very special. And if you'd like to follow me on Snapchat, you can follow me at H Stebbings or you can follow Tim on Twitter at TBCop with two Ps. Or you can follow the main man, Jason Lemkin, on Twitter at JasonLK. Likewise, if you want to see more from Sasta, then head over to the website at sasta.com that's s-a-a-s-t-r.com as always we so appreciate all your support and look very forward to bringing you friday's episode